Welcome to Journals of Self-Discovery. Hello, and thanks for joining me for this month's episode of Journals of Spiritual Discovery. Before we begin, let me remind you of a couple of things. One is that the TAT Foundation Retreat Weekend is coming up soon. It's March 31st through April 2nd. Paul Resendez, Tess Hughes, Paul Constant, and myself will all be there. You can learn more about this by going to tatfoundation.org and clicking on Current Events on the menu. Also, I want to encourage you to check out the podcast page on the website, spiritualteachers.org, where you can see the show notes for each episode. And there you'll see highlights of what I thought were some of the more interesting parts of the interviews, as well as other resources. You can see that at spiritualteachers.org forward slash podcast. My guest this month is Eddie Traversa. I met Eddie through a mutual friend sometime in the mid-2000s, but this was actually our first live conversation. We delve into his spiritual search, his current views on awakening, and have a very honest conversation about what practically he can do to help people get unstuck. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Eddie Traversa. Well, Eddie, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm glad to be here. I'm really looking forward to it. and I'm thinking that my Australian accent might woo the whole of um, the world and... Um, yeah, so I just hope people get used to my accent and understand me clearly, you know. Oh, I think I'm sure we'll get there. I think you're right. I think it'll be a plus for the interview. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah the the only uh, the only trouble with you being in Australia was that we were going to do this interview yesterday, and somehow, despite all the powers of the internet, I miscalculated what time it actually was in Australia, and what we were. Two hours off, I think, and what time we actually yeah, um, daylight savings that's, that's the problem. Um, I've got clients from all around the world, but uh, particularly in America, and um, whenever we first start up, uh, it takes an enormous amount of time to just to work out the right time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, I, I just wanted to start basically at the beginning just to get a, a sense of, of your history, and yep, and I would like to know if. If you look, when you look back, if there's a point in time that you could identify that, that's when your spiritual search began. It's a tricky question because uh, I actually had several points um, where I think I kind of like uh, built up into it, and they're all interconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have one point in particular where I think I got as serious as one could be, and that's probably what I might um, talk about, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was on a plane, basically, and coming back from Canada, I lived in Canada for a few years uh, with a girl, and I was distraught. I, I wanted to cry, um, and, you know, being a man, it was kind of like, oh, don't cry, people will see you. Um, so there was this tension between crying and not crying. And the reason why I wanted to cry was that I felt... Just so much like a failure in life. Um, I felt really low, really bad about myself. 
I'm pretty sure that if I had a gun, I would have blown my head off at that time. That, that's how bad it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I felt so bad was um, basically I, I was coming back to Australia without a sense of my name and my tail between my legs. And I've been in this relationship. And a few weeks prior, I had um, a heart attack. It was the first of my heart attacks. Mm. And um, my girlfriend then, after the heart attack, probably about a week after, wanted to end it. And I thought, what? Um, so basically she wanted to end it and um, I decided, well, that's enough. I had enough of her and was coming back to Australia. So in the midst of all this kind of like, what's the right word, sadness, um, being really distraught, I had this moment where I kind of like thought, you know, this has happened before in my life. You know, I felt this low a couple of times before in my life. And, you know, I'm a psychologist. I read a lot. I think I'm pretty self-aware. You know, I don't do anything untowards in a relationship. I treat people really as well as I possibly can. Um, I'm knowledgeable. And yet I keep coming back to this point where you know, the bottom falls out of my life. And I had this moment where, um, it's hard to explain, but it was at a cellular level where um, I thought, it's all a lie. Everything that I've been taught is all a lie. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Hmm. Um, you know, I thought, my mum's lied to me, my parents have lied to me. My you know, psychology teachers have lied to me. They've kind of like said, if you live life a certain way, it's going to be good. And to me, it was like, well, I'm delivering proof that it's not. And um, from that point forward, I kind of like thought, you know what? I'm going to figure out life on my own. And I didn't start off as a spiritual search, although it was quite spiritual in the end. It started off like my question, if you like, was how does life work? And that's what really drove me. And when I say drove me, I was like a madman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was intense to the max. I just shut everything else out in my life and just focused on that. Now, so that's pretty much a story, the turning point, if you like. You were you were already a trained psychotherapist at that point, correct? Yes, um, I was. Um, did you did you uh, have to turn towards a new set of tools, or were you able to use that knowledge in your search? Well, originally, I saw like when that the bottom fell out, if you like, it was kind of like nothing works. I kind of like threw everything out that was in my mind and what I thought was true and what I thought worked. And I, I was almost I was anti psychology at that time. Hmm. Um. Just because I thought, you know, it's basically let me down. Um, but as time wore on and the business kind of like wore out, wore out of that, um, I started to pick up bits and pieces of it again. Um, but I also turned to um, the more mystical side of things. I was, I was deeply fascinated and always have been with um, like what you would call uh, ESP, um yeah, out-of-body experiences, um, things like that. Near-death experiences was number one that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, telepathy. And it was more about what is the human potential. Yeah, 
know, what, what is actually there? What can we actually do? And so I started reading in a lot of diverse sort of fields. Um, I like the Sufis. I like the Dao. That's my favourite book, you know, the um, Dao De Ching. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so there were things like that that I, I read that um, incorporated in with psychology and also a bit more like I was a bit more kind of like hyper aware about not getting things in that weren't beneficial to me where I wanted to be in life. Could you tell me a little bit more about that last part? I wasn't quite clear on things that not letting things in that weren't beneficial to your life. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, so to me, like uh, at that point in time, it was like, how do I um, really become happy in life? How do I kind of like find a place where I'm comfortable with myself, at peace with myself, where I don't run into relationship problems and, mm-hmm. you know, I don't run into business problems. And so it's backtracking a lot over my life and kind of like picking up things that, okay, this worked and this didn't. And so an example of that would be, uh, I'll get, get into the mystical here a little bit, but um, so I had a former relationship and it ended really badly. It's probably the worst breakup of my life. But as a consequence of that, I got into ESP a lot and in particularly about influencing people um, with your mind, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was doing a lot of research and then I started experimenting and I did this kind of like um, thing with magic where I, I did this um, ritual and it was a very intense experience for me but it seemed that it actually worked and that I was actually influencing her um, you know it was really a neediness of wanting her back type of thing sure Um so it wasn't, you know, a really healthy type of um, mentality I had at the time. But I did find that I could actually influence her. But the influence on her seemed to have a very bad effect on her, so I stopped it. But And didn't pick that up again for a long time. Um, but I thought, yeah, that actually worked. Um, I wonder if that's worth exploring a bit more and seeing what's actually there sort of thing. But it's those sorts of things. And in psychology, it was, uh, you know... Okay, um, let's kind of like relax a bit more and um, not take things so seriously and be a bit more positive. Um, That seems to work. So I picked that up. Um, So, yeah, and then I read other bits and pieces here and there and um, integrated them as well. Is that something that you can can say, oh, I spent X number of years working on that sort of thing and... And then I came to some resolution or... Well, I came to some resolution rather quickly because it works. Hmm. But the thing that I had in mind was, um, are there better ways of influencing people? And um, it wasn't so much that I wanted to manipulate people. I just wanted to explore what is the human mind capable of. Um, so it was kind of like that. And, you know, in particular, what is Eddie capable of? Um, and so one of the things about me is that I can be quite scattered in my approach to life. Um, so when I say I focus, I've usually got three or four things that I focus on at a time and I tend to kind of like work on one thing for a couple of days and then the next thing might catch my attention. It's all about the other thing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So this whole magic kind of like um, other mind, uh, something greater than myself type of thing, was something that magic started, but it kind of like grew into uh, more of an identity issue um, in a sense of like, what am I really capable of? Uh, what What is anyone really capable of? And how I resolved it is that um, yeah, I had a quite a traumatic childhood in lots of ways. And so one of the things that happens with trauma people in my experience is that their boundaries get very loose and they're not very clear. And that you often find that people who have been traumatised um, can pick up things from others that they normally shouldn't be able to have access to or the conventions that they normally shouldn't have access to. And to my way of thinking, it's because of these loose boundaries that form very early on in childhood. So that's uh, I thought about that in terms of my experience and thought, yeah, that kind of like um, fits with me, it resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there it was like, okay, so if there's something greater, what is this greater? Where's this stuff actually coming from? And that's where you get tricky because you can't find an answer from the rational mind perspective. It's it's an interesting transition to me because some people might have stopped at, well, I've gained some control over my life and I understand more the, the mechanisms that I could, the levers that I could pull to make myself more happy in the world. But it sounds like for some reason that wasn't enough for you yeah well nothing was ever enough for me so i'm like a very extreme sort of guy well i was i can't say that i'm that extreme now but definitely i worked on extreme so when i tended to do stuff it was kind of like an all or nothing mentality um so kind of like um your teacher rose kind of like um emphasized rich and purity of intent and purity of purpose where You've got to be so focused on something um, that you're almost driven by madness to attain it. And at that time, that's how it was. Like, I had a heart attack um, and I picked up smoking again. I was smoking cigarettes at the time. I pretty much locked myself in a room, read everything I could, um, didn't interact much with the world. I became kind of like almost a hermit in a lot of sense. Um, So I was driven, um, and not driven for a great purpose, or like I say, I was driven by happiness, but it was also I was driven by the fear and the sadness and the misery um, that I experienced in life, and I just didn't want to experience that again, ever again. Hmm. So it was either do it or die to me. Hmm. And, you know, that whole um, mystical ESP, kind of like greater than other sort of experience, is it, part of that. It's kind of like, I think for anyone you know, wanting to explore stuff like that, don't stop. Just keep going. And that led you, that led you rather than a sense of Eddie, the person, has some great power. It sounds like you recognize that there was something else at work, something larger than yourself. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. And also to me at the time, it was like, what are the boundaries? The boundaries were just not clear. About who was doing what. Um, so was it Eddie doing something, or was it God or the absolute or you know the universe, whatever you want to call it, um, doing something? It just was not clear at all. 
I only recognised that something was happening behind the scenes. And um, I had a couple of moments of um, you know, glimpses, if you like, where amidst this kind of like drivenness and sadness, and there were moments of beauty as well. And um, I also wanted to explore that. It's kind of like, well, here's the answer. Um, but to be clear, I was kind of like trying to control my life. And I was after a magic pill solution. Um, you know, I kind of like wanted, well, you know, if I get, if I find the answer, then everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of that was driven by that. Can you talk a little more about how how you explored that? I understand that you were, say, doing experiments with with ESP and so forth. How how did you dig deeper into that question of oh, what is this? other or higher power that may be behind this were you meditating you know i mean reading books can only do so much absolutely i totally agree with you and looking back it was kind of like dude you just read read so much stuff that was just rubbish you know it just wasted time basically i was doing tai chi at the time so that helped a little bit it kind of like um it focused me more on a meditative type of quality of life and I noticed in Tai Chi, um, the energy of Tai Chi itself started to interest me. Like if you move your hand in a certain way, you'd experience a kind of jolt of energy. Um, chi, they call it. And um, so I was like, oh, I wonder what that's about. And so I started to read a little bit about Tai Chi, a bit more in depth about Tai Chi. I was quite first in it, but I read more in depth about it. And um, I wanted to explore this kind of like the energy and um, making yourself kind of like use the energy to the benefit of myself and also um, for the benefit of others that I interacted with. Um, I didn't come to any great resolution. It was just more like a, a practice, if you like, of just noticing the energy. And not really knowing quite what to do with it in lots of ways. So I just sat there for, I don't know, years and years and years. Um, so I would often have experiences of, um, you know, a tingly sort of sensation, but my whole skin would be tingly and um, it was a very pleasant sensation. Um, but when doing Tai Chi, that would often transpire. So again, I didn't come to any great resolution or any great understanding about this energy. It was just that it was there, I was aware of it, um, but wasn't quite sure what to do with it. Whereas other areas of life, I kind of like figured out, um, you know, I had to go back to my childhood again. Um, so I actually had done blocks of therapy before and explored things in my childhood and how they affected me. Um, and I went back into therapy again after I came back from Canada and was exploring myself again from that perspective as well. And noticed things about myself that were kind of true-ish, if you like, um, how I interacted in relationships and my selection process in picking out people. Things like that helped. Like the selection process helped a lot. Um, just recognising that you know, my selection process was off in some way and in some way it's got to be remedied or kind of like worked on or 
you know, stop picking the people that aren't going to give you what you want in life. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of things that were coalescing. That wasn't one thing where I could say, well, this one thing kind of like, you know, really kind of like got my attention and I just stuck at this particular one thing. It was more like there was a, a, a jumble of things that caught my attention and I was exploring each and some of them caught my attention a little bit more than others. But there's this switching between things a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually think that helped. I know one thing that some people struggle with is uh, they don't know what to do next. They feel like they're they're at a dead end or they're stuck. Did you ever? It doesn't sound like that was a a problem for you. It sounds like you always had something that you wanted to explore. Is that true? There were times in life where I felt stuck, so there's no doubt about that. And there were times in my life where um, I felt my hands in the air, if you like, and just did not know what to do. And um, again, we we're talking about ends of relationships were the ones that really caused me the most problems in life, but at the same time caused me to seek. But I remember one particular relationship ending where I cried for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. Um, so I'd literally go to bed at night crying and wake up crying. And um, I just did not know what to do with life. But it lasted for a couple of weeks and then slowly but surely um, that kind of like motivation to kind of like keep going um, arose again. But uh, I actually should mention this because I, I know where it stems from as, as I'm talking. So when I was about 30, yet another relationship ending. And so we're talking about giving up and all that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. um, so I tried to commit suicide. So um, it was a pretty serious attempt. And I went to bed thinking that I would die. Um, you know, I had took a massive amount of pills and alcohol and all that. Um, so I literally gave up. And I woke up the next morning and thought, oh, my God, I can't even get that right sort of thing. Hmm. But then I'm not even sure why, but I promised myself, it was more like a vow. A vow is a good word for it. I promised myself that I would never do that again, that I would never, ever give up. Hmm. And that stuck. So there were definitely times after that where I felt like killing myself, you know, which is a lot about my esteem and my state of mind and you know, all that. But there was also this other aspect of me that I would just not give up. Um, so that stemmed from that suicide attempt. That unlike, and when I got that off that plane, yes, I you know, basically slept for a week and didn't want to do anything. Then I got up and started to read and kind of like started to, and when I say read books, but it was also thinking about things. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, it was meditative in the sense that I would ponder my life. It was a very introspective kind of period in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that's what would, would make me kind of like um, keep going was that vow I mm. made to myself. Now, did you have any spiritual teachers that you were in contact with during that time? Uh, Absolutely no. no. No, not at all. I was like a spiritual novice. Oh, like, I'm amazed. Like, when I have clients, I work with people from, you know, as a psychotherapist, and sometimes people will write to me, and uh, I'm amazed at some of their spiritual experiences and, you know, working with teachers and, all that, but I had none of that. Um, but in a way, I'm glad I didn't. Um, 
because I think it can lock you into a, a particular way of looking at the world rather than exploring it. And while a teacher can be very helpful as a guide and all that, sometimes it can get in the way as well. Um, and for me too, you've got to remember that like my vow on that plane was kind of like, also, I'm not going to listen to anyone else. You know, I'm going to work this out on my own. Hmm. And, and so I didn't come back to Australia. I went into, into therapy because you know, I had all these suicidal thoughts at that time. Um, so I needed, I recognised I needed help with that. But other than that, it was like, no, I'm just um, going to work at this by myself. Having said that, you know, I had a friend who was very spiritual and we used to talk about spiritual matters and that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so there wasn't a formal teacher as such, but there was people around me, like my therapist at the time was very helpful. Um, a couple of my friends were very helpful. Um, both very spiritual people, and we used to have these deep, deepish sort of conversations about spirituality, which now caused me to think and um, introspect and think about what am I about, what is life about, all that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I didn't kind of like accept everything they said, but I, I pondered it. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, no, there wasn't a, a formal spiritual teacher, but there were lots of little guides here and there that, you know, I think helped. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's certainly something in my life that, yeah, in addition to knowing a, a handful of valuable spiritual teachers, there were a lot of people who were just friends that in their yeah. own way were incredibly helpful. And the value too of friendships too, if you've got really good ones, is um, they don't let you get away with too much. <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah, so, I mean, you might get mad at the time and um, you mightn't really particularly enjoy what they tell you, but if you've got any sense of, like, deepness or, you know, willing to explore yourself, you take it on board. Mm-hmm. And you use that to kind of, like, um, to help yourself get to where you want in life. Mm-hmm. So friendships are, you know, to me, a really valuable as are other people that um, you know, come in and out of your life. Not just friendships, but sometimes you have these fleeting sort of, you know, people that just come in for you, to your life for a day or a week and they might say something and it sticks and you go off and kind of like, oh, I want to explore that. And so an incident of that was um, I came across a friend of a friend sort of thing that you know, I barely knew and, don't have much contact with. And um, she mentioned the whole creating reality field. And so I started to explore that. And she was kind of like a guide in a sense of like she pointed me um, to something that I didn't particularly consider before. So I was like, you know, okay, this sounds like it might you know be interesting. Um, and I've got to say, a lot of that creating reality sort of stuff, new age mentality is just rubbish, junk. But it, it, I explored it still, and there were things out of that that uh, you know, I could use today. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that I, I would be able to make later on was connections. So in psychology, there's this thing about kind of like um, getting the life that you want as well. We just don't call it creating reality. So that tied in with um, kind of like how do I get what I want out of my life? 
And I've I've got to mention this that before kind of like um, it wasn't that I actually got an answer to this. Like, there's no magic pill. There's no um, you know one shot solution. No formula that I know of that is a guarantee for success in life. And success in life can be a spiritual goal as well as a materialistic one. I don't know of anything like that. But I think i reasonably good at working out um, some of the steps that might really help the person get to where they want. Um, it's no guarantee, but probably increases their probability is a good way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the same applies to me. So it's really you've got to apply it in your own life. You've got to really experiment and... Um, just see what works and what doesn't work. And what the other thing too that I, I would mention about that is, I might give you advice about life, but it might not be true for you. Um, and that's because you'd have a different makeup, a different kind of like way of looking at things, orientation towards life. It might not resonate. Whereas for someone else, it might, and it might be one of the most useful things that other person hears. So there's that thing to consider too as well. Yeah, I. I wanted to touch upon, you mentioned how friends could keep you honest. And for me, that quality of honesty was something that that was literally taught to me from, from reading Rose's material and looking at his life, how important self-honesty is. But it almost sounds like for you, that was, I mean, that was something that you just naturally realized or naturally took to that, oh, you know, I really should listen to other people. Sometimes they do, they can see me better than I can see myself. That just, it surprises me is why I bring it up that, you know, most people are content just stuck in their own heads and defending their beliefs rather than questioning them. Oh, well, you know, I don't want to set myself up as kind of like this. It's not actually true because um, before 30, the age of 30, um, I was the most superficial guy you'd ever want to come across. Um, you know, all I wanted to do was party, you know, sleep with women, get drunk, beef my mates. You know, Australia would call them mates. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, just generally have a good time with life. And I was not very deep at all. I mean, the only things I would read in those days would be probably science fiction. Mm-hmm. But uh, another turning point, I guess, you know, I was talking about multiple turning points was um, I was with a, a, a lady who um, we had a relationship and she basically told me that I would never um, make anything of myself, which drove me to that suicide attempt. Mm. You know, I came out of that kind of like, um, right, I'm going to show you. So there was this determination to, you know, it wasn't so much an introspection as much as um, I'm going to show someone else what I'm capable of. And that took me off to university. Uh-huh. So, you know, my whole psychotherapy thing started off as revenge. <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing noble about it. Right. Yep. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> and, and, you know, years, it's funny because years later, I, I won this, you know, not meaning to brag or, you know, put myself overly prideful, but I, I won this award for the university that, Basically, would be the equivalent in America would be winning something like the best student at um, a university there mm-hmm. you know, across all disciplines. Um, every student in that whole thing, you know, you're it, you're the one. So I won this award, and I got into local newspapers here, and you know, had a picture with me 
holding this award and I was thinking, stuff you, you know, that's, you know, I've shown you now. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so I had this kind of like, we were talking about honesty, but so when I first started in psychology, I kind of thought, I want to go into psychology because I want to help people. That was what I was telling myself. But I wasn't being particularly self-honest. You know, the real reason, well, it wasn't one reason, there was multiple reasons. But, you know, that revenge motive drove it, and I wasn't being honest with that. And so one of the things that really I'm fascinated with is how um, we can be so ignorant to our own kind of like um, ways that we tell lies to ourselves. Yeah. Um, We're just so blind. And I mean ignorant in the sense of stupid, I mean ignorant in the sense of just unaware. Um, and so this whole, you know, I was a very unaware guy to the age of 30. So that's why when I've got a young client that's on this spiritual search and they're looking at themselves, I'm like, wow, how do you do that? Like, I was never like that. I was the complete opposite of that. Um, but so out of suffering, I think, is the, the main point, that, you know, out of that crucible of suffering, it kind of turned my life around a little bit in that I would never give up again. And um, I would just had this fascination with exploring um, myself and the world and others. And so psychology was a good fit. Um, it was nothing like I imagined it to be, but <laughs> um, at the time I thought it would be a good fit. So do I have a natural inclination to just do that? I don't think it is. I think it's more... Um, Again, you know, I don't want to make a thing out of um, a religion out of suffering, but it was born out of this whole um, experience of being in a deep state of pain that kind of like switched my life around a bit and kind of got me to think about, I don't want to go there again. Right. And if I didn't want to go there again, I'd have to do things differently and have to open up myself to different things. Right. And, and you know, like we're talking about honesty, but I actually walked down life for, I don't know, probably nearly 30 years of my life thinking I was dumb, stupid, um, literally, you know. And it wasn't until I got to university that I thought, hey, I might actually have brains. Um, when I started to do well at university, like academically, it was like a big, massive kind of like boost to my ego and uh, my confidence and esteem. And so things like that interact. It kind of all play a part into bringing you to certain points in life. That's not only the pain, but also the positive experiences that we have, that they kind of like mix, coalesce, and allow us to get to where we want. Why do we lie to ourselves? I mean, that's a fascinating question to me. And I think it's because we're taught to. Uh, Speaking for myself, even when I was on a path where I was trying to be as honest as possible, there were certain aspects of myself that I was so deeply attached to or identified with that I just, I could not see. I could not see them. And even if someone pointed them out, it would be, my reaction would be, huh, well, you know, I don't know about that. It was never, uh, it was never like, oh my God, I never realized that before. I'd have to think about it. And then slowly over time, it just kind of stuck with me until it, Absolutely. I was very similar. I remember um, 
great woman, great therapist, and we're talking about intuition and talking about a particular client, and I said something along the lines, he goes, how did you know that? And I said, well, I intuited that. It was intuition. And she called me out on it and said, no, um, you're hiding behind your own fury. Um, that's not intuition. And I just did not want to know about it. You know, I was like, no, you're wrong. It's intuition. Eddie's right. You're wrong. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it stuck with me for some reason in my head. And the more I thought about it over the next couple of days, weeks, months, was like, you know what? She's actually right. <laughs> um, so it wasn't this instant kind of like, oh, okay, I see what you get. It's kind of like more a mulling. Yeah. You know, kind of like a thinking over process. Um, it tends to work like that for me as well. Yeah. Now, I know that, that you don't want to get into too much detail about this, but there was a point in time that you... I mean, you had an awakening of some sort or this, this yep. period after 30 of, of questioning and really digging deeply, it came to an end. Uh, can you tell people just a, a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, when I say an end, um, it's kind of like a fallacy too, but it was an end to kind of like um, the searching for an answer, if you like. Mm. Um, and the ending was more about, like, there's only this, which sounds very trite and very kind of like um, not very deep at all, but in actual sense, it's just this emptiness, which is actually a something. Mm. Um, and after that, it was kind of like um, a, a, what's the right word, an integration. And I'm still going with the integration. It's probably been about 12 years now. Um, And I don't mean in the sense of a deepening, but from that awakening, if you like, or from that um, experience, what were the things about that or what can I talk about that's kind of like makes sense to me? It's not that I can say anything about the awakening. Like if you can actually talk about your awakening, then it's not an awakening. (laughs) In in, (laughs) Yeah, because you're not there. Yeah, um, and that's the thing that you take away from it. I think is that you're not there, um, and that has kind of like implications for how you live your life from then on. But also, when you're not there, there's this kind of like um, I know this sounds really corny, but there's this massive sense of a, a very deep, benign sort of love. I don't, I don't mean love in the sense of like how we would normally use it in. Um, in our day-to-day kind of like language and way we interact with people, but much, much further than that. And, and love is really the wrong word, but it's just about as close as I can get to it. Um, and so then it becomes about how do you live your life honouring that? And that's what's been integrating for me. It's more about a, a gradual progression of how do I honour those things from that experience and after that experience, more faithfully, more honestly in my life. Um, and I think spiritual integration, I've actually been asked to write an article about that, which I might do one day. Um, it's about that. It's about that kind of process of um, aligning yourself with um, the qualities that you think are most alike um, to that awakening process. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, to me, one of them is that kind of like love. Um, this um, whole thing about not getting involved, like don't put ego into the equation. Um, it was a biggie. Um, relaxing became even bigger. And, in fact, a lot of my tension just dropped right off. Um, because why worry? Um, things are just going to work out as they're going to work out anyway. So it takes a load off. But at the same time, I don't want to make it like you're lazy and um, don't do things. You, you do a lot. You're still active. Well, I am. It's more about that whole process of um, trying to do the best that you can from what you've been shown. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, I, I know we probably met by email a, a decade or so ago. Yeah. And you kind of, uh, at least to my impression, you you sprang onto the scene with a website and a lot of very interesting and intriguing writings. And it seemed like there was a period of time that you you kind of vanished for a while. Was that part of this integration or trying to yep. come to terms more? Um, yeah. There were a couple of things happening with that. Well, one was that I was starting to become a guru. Mm. Um and I did want to be a guru. Mm -hmm. um, and two, I had this kind of like, um, I think it's Stephen Norquist, and, and his, you might put that in the show notes, his kind of like um, awakening where there was this kind of like withdrawal. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to withdraw. I wanted to be um, by myself even more. Um, and it's not a thing I can explain in a rational way. Um, it was just this overpowering sense of be by yourself. Um, drop all the teaching, drop all the, you know, website stuff. Um, and that's basically what I did for a couple of years. Um, and, you know, th that whole period of being by myself then sort of like reflected into coming back out of it with, well, what do I do now? Um, and, and I make it sound like it, there's this massive problem about what I'm doing now. It wasn't quite like that, but it just seemed clear to me to kind of like, okay, you're a psychotherapist. I think you're really reasonably good at it. Start that up again. Um, start writing some articles again. Um, so slowly I've kind of like been pushing myself back up to be more out um, in, the, in the web and out there and kind of trying to help people, but also with this kind of aspect of um, being alone. So I actually adore being alone, but I also adore being with people. Mm -hmm. So it's balancing those two things in my life. So another thing that came out of that whole awakening, later on, I'm not talking about there was this moment I had an awakening and I had all these ideas about life. It was right. more like, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, gradually over time, things kind of like built up and made a lot more sense. Um, it was about balance, you know, being in balance. And me being such an extreme person, working on extremes emotionally and psychologically and almost manic in some ways, I had to focus down on um, being balanced in life. And being balanced to me kind of also gives you more space to allow um, things to just occur without actually being overly involved in them. So you're much more able to kind of like sit 
um, with things that mightn't make a whole lot of sense and just take them in and absorb them more at a cellular level rather than thinking about, what's that about? I've got to analyse that. I've got to work this out. What's the next book? What's the next answer? Um, but I think if you balance, you're much more likely to kind of like um, find what you're looking for in life. I mean, they go hand in hand. It's like, not that you balance and you get things out. It's that you balance. You've got to keep working at your balance as you go along. And that's pretty much any quality that you can think of. There's, you know, you work at it. Mm-hmm. So awakening to me was kind of like it was um, a moment in life where um, things turned a little bit more again. But I look back at that sort of like think where I am today and would I still be here um, today if it wasn't for that awakening? And I'm kind of like leaning towards the proposition that I might well be. Perhaps maybe not quite as um, far along, if you like, or uh, I think that if I look at it and I can sort of like see almost everything that come out of that can be done by someone without having an awakening experience. I'm not talking about the awakening itself. I'm talking about the aftermath yeah. and how you live your life and, and all that. Um, mm, I see. And is that, uh, is that realization part of why uh, you're, it sounds like you're focused uh, as much or more on the psychotherapy these days in terms of using that to help people as opposed to uh, advising on the spiritual search uh, explicitly. Yeah, I think that's um, a truism. Um, although I have to say that a lot of my clients have this spiritual um, curiosity, if you like. They're, they're quite spiritual in themselves. And it's not like I've completely dropped off. I still write articles on spirituality and, you know, if people have got questions, I welcome them and, you know, they can email me and all that. But basically my focus has been on helping people um, through psychotherapy uh, and me being a therapist. Um, but it usually involves um, a spiritual component as well. And so my therapy, it just I can't see it how it could not, be um, a spiritual thing as well, other than if someone just wanted something very specific like, um, can you help me with a headache? And that's all they wanted. Mm. There wouldn't be much talk about spirituality in that. But generally um, speaking, I, I tend to draw people that have got some curiosity about themselves and some curiosity about how to live life and some curiosity about God um, you know, and spirituality. And yeah. So I have to focus on it. And the other reason, too, is how do you teach someone an awakening to be awakened? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we are ridiculously poor at that. Now, people will point to, um, you know, these books, you know, these supposedly spiritual texts. Um, but people don't get awakened from them. Yeah, or very rarely do they. It's not like we have this massive outpouring of awakened people coming from all these religious, you know, texts and all that. It's just, right. Now, if you think about it in terms of um, success, we, we, we suck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're terrible at it. Um, and I don't know of any technique, anything that I can say that would help someone get spiritually awakened. Mm-hmm. 
what I can do is if someone wants to build up their kind of like, uh, I think I've mentioned this in your in an email to you, that if someone, for example, wanted to have a bit more tenacity in life or a bit more grit, a bit more purity of purpose, well, I can help with that. Uh, and that might be a step towards kind of like, um, towards something a bit greater. Um, so that's how I look at things. I, I think of things more like on the micro level rather than, you know, that whole macro, I'm going to get you enlightened sort of thing. I tell a lot of things. Well, what practically can I do to help people move, to help people shift? Most spiritual seekers are stuck. You know, they're stuck in this kind of like repetition pattern. So the question then becomes, how do I get them unstuck? How do I help them get them unstuck? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same as in psychotherapy. It's, you know, people are generally stuck. How do you help them get unstuck? What are their patterns of their lives? What needs to change? What's the next step for them? That sort of thing. So I'm more focused on that kind of like, what's the next step rather than what's the end point? And there isn't an end point. There's just like, now we think of awakening as kind of like, oh, that's it, it's all done. Might as well curl up the toes and dig myself a grave and you know, it's all over with. But mm-hmm. in fact, it's just a start. Mm-hmm. It, there's a whole process goes on after that that, you know, you still learn about things. I'm still learning about life. Um, yeah, I'm doing, I read practically every day something about um, how we work. Um, I don't read hardly anything at all on spirituality. Um, it, it just kind of like dropped completely off for me, all that sort of like non-dual sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find that almost useless. So, yeah, there's this whole notion of do we actually help people by having spiritual enlightenment as kind of like um, I can help you get spiritually enlightened? And I would say, no, we don't. As a general rule, you can get some really exceptional teachers, um, like spiritual teachers, but they're really hard to find. At least that's my experience of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, a couple of things come to mind. One is that I, as we were talking, I recognize I tend to incorrectly draw a bright line between psychotherapy and spirituality as if the two are separate tracks but i i appreciate your explanation of of how the two yeah and there's also each other uh, there's also the other side of the coin like in psychotherapy i've had a couple of clients that have done this and they might recognize themselves as i'm talking about it if they listen to the interview but they were reading books on um non-duality and um you know all that sort of be present and being in now and we were talking about spirituality, and I said, look, none of that is spiritual, right? You're reading about non-dual stuff, Ali lets you talk in a, you know, this kind of language, and it's not spiritual. It's very superficial. What's really important is that you're here in therapy working on yourself. That's what's actually spiritual. And it's that working on yourself that actually might actually turn the odds in your favour towards an awakening. You know, it's not that there's a guarantee there, but the probability shifts a little bit um, and shifts towards in your favour. And I think as long as we're working on ourselves, and often reading is not working on ourselves, 
I mean, how many non-dual books could you read, mm -hmm. really? Uh, how many books on spirituality can you read? Don't they all say the same thing, pretty much? Mm -hmm. Don't all speech, all teachers pretty much say the same thing? So I have this notion in my head about, all right, well, that, practically speaking, hasn't worked really well uh, you know, in terms of history. What can I do that's a little bit different? Um, and so I've come up with this notion of exploring the little things that go into the processes. And um, I don't have a big distinction between uh, what is spiritual and what is psychotherapy. To me, they're, they're kind of like, we can talk about distinctions between the two, but they're, they're just so interconnected that um, I find it difficult to separate them out. Is the concept of ego something that you use in your work in terms of uh, many people would say that the ego is the great barrier to spiritual awakening. Yeah. Um, yes, it is. Um, I'm just pondering your question as you're saying it. Um, so to me, like, there's often a thing about we need to get rid of ego. Right. Um, but I don't think that's correct. I think it's more about how do we manage ego? Um, so... Uh, a metaphor that I would use or analogy is think of ego as a mischievous little puppy dog um, that gets into trouble a lot. And you're all like as an observer, um, observing this ego, you know, getting into trouble, getting into mischief, it's kind of like say, all right, pull it up and stop that. But also give it praise when it does something well. Um, so, you know, there's this notion you shouldn't have ego in a spiritual search, but I think you actually need a pretty big ego. Um, I think you need to kind of like stroke it, manage it, um, get to a certain point and then it falls away again. Then build it back up again, it goes back down again. Then build it back up again and it goes back down again. So I think you need a, a, an ego to kind of like push yourself uh, I mean, what's more arrogant than being on a spiritual search? <laughs> yeah, if that's not ego, what isn't? You know. I agree. Um, yeah, yeah. So you kind of need your ego to kind of like get there, but your ego is also a thing to me to be managed. It's not something that you get rid of. I mean, I've still got an ego. Um, I, I try and push it to my, um, one side and manage it as well as I can. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not like it's you know, missing, it's more like I can observe it now. And, and in that sense, I'm not really there. Like in the sense of um, hmm. there's something else actually happening rather than what the ego, like before the identification was with the ego. Now, I am ego. And now it's more like, um, okay, there's this kind of like awareness of ego, hmm. for lack of better wording. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, egos, uh, to me, like in therapy, in spirituality, um, in life in general, it's like you've got to get it out of the way. I'm actually writing an article at the moment, and I might send it to you later on when I finish it, about how we go about getting what we want from life. And part of it you know, that I'm not going to be writing about is ego. And you know, ego can be the block um, to getting what we want from life because we kind of like think that we're going to get it from ego. Whereas most often, it's when we're out of the way, um, things happen in our favour. 
Mm-hmm. It's more often um, that we have to let it go, that things start working in our favour, um, rather than kind of like interjecting ourselves all the time. And then there's all the other thing about ego is that there's, I've been giving this a lot of thought of lately the last couple of years is that for a society that kind of like values making the unconscious conscious and values our thinking above all else. And in my experience, it's kind of like a faulty perception. Our thinking doesn't actually do a whole lot. It's more our um, intuition. Um, It's more our awareness of ourselves. Not in the sense of um, making the unconscious conscious, but just moment to moment kind of being present in life without having ego interject into everything and trying to control everything. Um, That's really useful for people. And so that's reflected in therapy as well. It's kind of like, you know, getting back to your original question, I I can waffle on, can't I? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You have this kind of like um, idea that, you know, we've got to get ego into everything to make a better life. But in therapy, I try and teach people just be present. Just relax, let it go. Um, that's not the whole of therapy, of course, and you know, there's lots and lots of different things I do, but you know, one of the biggies is that most people don't know how to relax. You know, not just in therapy, you know, look around and friends and people in the street and you know, we walk around like like stress balls, basically. We, you know, we just don't know how to relax. So there's some basics there in therapy that I think are really useful for spirituality as well, that you've got to have the foundations right before you get on to the next step, if you like, and Part of the foundations to me is that kind of like ability to be aware of your body, to have a more intuitive sense of how to navigate the world. Um, and part of it is letting the ability to let go of stuff that's really, in the end, inconsequential and unimportant. Yeah, that's, I'm glad you explained that more because... A person might hear, well, we, you know, we just need to relax is the thing. And to me, that could mean, oh, I just need to turn on the TV set and kick back on the couch and <laughs> take it easy more yeah. often. That, that's, that's not, not what, what I mean. Saying. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, I've, I've, actually, just to illustrate that point a bit deeper is that I've had people that do a lot of mindfulness. And oh, even yeah. when mm-hmm. their mindfulness experience, they're not relaxed. And so I might ask them to notice their body and go deeper into that. And it's that deepening of that and just letting it go, just relaxing into it, actually brings about some quite profound um, changes and insights, if you like. Um, So Mm. there's that aspect of it too. It's just like you really got to, when I say relax, it's not just getting on the couch. It's not what I mean. I mean... Really, just like even to right now as we're talking, um, I'm aware of my body and I'm relaxing it moment to moment to moment. And, and mm-hmm. so you live your life kind of like in this state of rather than being against everything in life, um, you're trying to be for everything in life. And part of that is learning to like, let go of control. And there's times where you need to be in control. I'm not saying that you don't. But generally speaking, if we let go and let go of ego, things tend to run much, much better. 
And, and part of that, if you mm-hmm. think about it, the more you have ego in it, the more you're not relaxed usually. And if you think about the times that, um, you know, you really inject yourself into an equation in some way, you're usually, you know, a bit hyper and a bit kind of like your body tenses up a little bit and you're not quite as relaxed as what you might be. You mentioned that you're working more with the unconscious than with the conscious. Could you speak a little bit yeah, more about well, that? Yeah, I guess what I was trying to get at before too with that whole society is focused on the conscious and like making the unconscious conscious. Whereas I'm quite happy to leave things at an unconscious level at times. Um, and so what is a driver? What is our driver? Yeah, what actually gets us from A to B, and we can say God and you know all that, yes, we can do that, but at a more practical level, it's the unconscious. But we tend to think of it more as it's the conscious that's kind of like getting us from A to B. But what we now know from research and from science and is that that's not accurate at all. In fact, all the conscious mind is is a storyteller and a storyteller after the fact. Now think about what I'm saying there. Um, the, everything that we think about um, is after the fact. But you, mm-hmm. we could also use that to kind of like shine a light, like I use the metaphor of a, a lighthouse, that you know, it shines a light and it kind of like, all right, I want to be over here at this point in life. It's like a vision for life. Now, our conscious mind can do that. What actually gets us from the unconscious to the conscious, sorry, what actually gets us to that point is the unconscious. That's where it's all at. That's where the power is at. Um, So over the years, I'm I'm developing a more thorough understanding um, that it's really the unconscious that's kind of like where it's all at and it's got the power. And it's also the portal to the more spiritual type of experiences and you know, we can think about dreams and synchronicity and intuitions. Um, they're not conscious um, processes. They're unconscious processes. Um, and if we think about life, like, uh, you know, there's times in my life where I thought, oh, I know it. I know what to do. You know, I should be doing this. But instead, the unconscious is kind of like driving me off to in a completely different direction and getting me into trouble and, um, not actually following what I actually want to do in life. So in that sense, our conscious minds are quite limited. And our unconscious ones are the ones that really drive us. Which, you know, if you look at the literature and um, in the past, we've kind of like been focused on this real tiny aspect of ourselves and kind of like almost been dismissive of the unconscious of what we can do with it. So I'm really keen to kind of like learn more about it and explore more and work with people on that level. Mm-hmm. And you and, and I see more potential in that than, you know, something like uh, uh, a more cognitive behavioral type approach. Mm-hmm. You're going to ask something. Is there any, uh, is there any general advice that you can give to people who, who would be listening to this if they, if they wanted to, explore more deeply into the unconscious I, I think you mentioned dream work is one thing any other dream work is one thing um first of all the most important thing is you've got to develop a relationship with the unconscious so and by that i mean 
we don't, you have an inward kind of like relationship with it. So if you have a dream, the relationship um, to yourself is just as important as the interpretation. Just the acknowledgement that the unconscious is there. Um, so we talk about that little puppy dog, you know, and part of that is the unconscious, that it doesn't get any kind of like credit for what it actually does in our lives. Um, some practical things is, yes, dream work is very good. Um, I would watch for synchronicities. Um, and in particular, don't get fall for the trap of interpreting the synchronicities as um, this is showing me where I need to be in life. It's not a sign post that says you've got to go here. It's more like oh, this is an opportunity to explore myself. There's something about this that gives me an opportunity to explore myself. So synchronicity is like, a bit more like that. Mm-hmm. Sickness is often a very unconscious thing. So my heart attacks, for example, you know, were born out of my heart psychologically breaking. And um, a lot of my illnesses, like, you know, people don't know, but like even as we're talking now, I've got pain. All of these have psychological roots and they're by and large, we leave them into the unconscious and we dismiss the potential for healing because we do. Um, so the broken heart scenario is one. Yeah, so I've got a couple of really bad relationships that broke my heart. And then years later, my heart literally broke mm. a couple of times, like, you know, physically broke. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a relationship between that, that. That's quite unconscious. And so there's value in kind of learning about, okay, if I want to be healthy, I better start addressing some of the psychological things. And also some of the spiritual things involved in that. What's the repercussions? Now, what are the repercussions of me dying? What happens? Mm-hmm. I don't have an answer, but um, I know what happens in the end, but I don't mean it in the sense of dying. I mean, you know, where the whole show is ended. But, you know, it's those sorts of things that you can integrate into your life and make them a little bit more, kind of like shine the light on them and then get your unconscious to work Towards that, and the way I think is um, one to be aware of where you want to be in your life is the, the big step. So my biggest advice to people would be this: if you know where you're going in life, you're likely going to get there. And the way to know where you're going in life is have a vision, then have goals to get to that vision, and then have daily intentions to keep those um, goals working and working. And look at all the blocks that prevent you from getting what you want. And it's the blocks that we often miss out on where, you know, ego is involved. So the less you put yourself into that whole equation, um, the better it is for you. And the more precise you are with your vision, um, the more likely it is that it's actually going to come to fruition. Uh, uh, and, and I was just going to say that vision doesn't need to be very conscious. That's what I was just going to ask, just, yeah. Yeah. Your vision doesn't actually need to be very conscious. It, like, I actually prefer it. Um, that you kind of like almost have it unconsciously. You know, relegate it to the unconscious. Don't pay that much importance to it. But come back to it every couple of months and revise it if you need to so that your unconscious is aware of it. The vision itself should be more unconscious. The conscious parts are more the intention you know, because it's a daily practice. So we don't often think of intention as a daily practice, but to me, 
it should be a daily practice. It should be, I'm going to get out of bed, I intend to do this and that today. And you need to do that every day. Um, so that's a conscious part of it, but the big one is the vision. You don't have the vision, you're aimless, you're lost. Um, you're just going to get what you you're going to get nowhere in life, basically, if you don't have a vision. Because you don't know where you're going. <laughs> right. Just, I don't know if that helps at all, but um, <laughs> now, it's a big, big topic, Sean. Yeah. It's like something that you know, I could talk about for hours and hours and hours, and we'd still likely be, you know, scraping the surface of it sort of thing yeah absolutely um, absolutely yeah well let me ask you uh, a couple of shorter questions i always like to hear from am i an aussie yes <laughs> <laughs> i always like to hear from people uh for example if there's any book that they tend to recommend more than another Dao Ching. That, that's really the only book you ever will ever need spiritually um but uh, I kind of like Ed McKenna's first book. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what's it called? Spiritual Enlightenment, The Damnest Thing. Yeah. Because um, it removes some of the mystique about enlightenment and kind of like I think helps people, clarify for people, don't get stuck into these kind of like you know, normal views of enlightenment. Don't get stuck into the whole kind of like, you know, you're going to get enlightened everything's going to be all right afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're probably the other two I would recommend to people. And how about films? Are there any movies and documentaries uh, that you've seen? I, I love, yeah, I love um, American Beauty. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, that's it. You, you only need that. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I'll leave it at that, actually. I'll leave it at American Yeah, all right. It's a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. And captures things about life that, are, you know, people think might think that the guy who's playing that observer role is the one that's awakening. Uh, but I actually see the guy who's rebelling a bit more, um, Kevin Spacey, mm-hmm. uh, is actually a bit closer to the way that you would go about awakening because he's rebelling hmm. against everything. And then I actually wrote a piece about this some time ago that I've lost now. But if you integrate the two, then you've got a perfect student and they still wouldn't get awakened. But to me, that's just a fantastic film with metaphor upon it. That plastic bag scene, it just, I don't know, I know you like it, but it's just something I fell in love with. Yeah. Just hit me home, yeah. Next question. (laughs) Well, uh... This one's actually this one's actually might be a, a little bit longer, but then we'll we'll wrap up after this one. Okay. Um, you had made the statement that uh, the whole "you are perfect" there is just this crowd, while kind of a truism typically have a lot of resistances, and that their bodies at some level are resisting. Uh, a lot of people I come across are like that, carrying around this dissonance without really being aware of it. And, and I was curious if you could speak at all to what are some of the symptoms of that? Well, that mindfulness um, example I gave earlier on, where people, um, you know, I've had people and kind of like not even realize that they're tense in some way. So an exercise I might do with them is like um, think about your body and think about 
a certain position in your body. Is there anywhere in your body where it might be a little bit more tense or a little bit more relaxed than the other part? So as they focus in, they might actually get to a specific point. And I might ask them, what does that feel like? Um, is it a ball? What kind of shape does it have? They will really get into the specifics of kind of like what this thing is in their body. Um, and eventually I'll get to a point uh, of, can you go deeper into that? Can you explore that a little bit more? What does it want to tell you? Just close your eyes, sit with yourself quietly, as quietly as possible. And don't think about a rational answer. Just pop out whatever comes into your mind. And as people do that, they're kind of like, there's a couple of things that come out of that. One is they don't realise that they've had so much tension in their body. And two is that they don't realise that something within their body can actually teach them something about themselves. There's, there's this you know, psychological component as well, which also has spiritual implications. They're all interconnected. We can't get away from that. So that would be, I think, a pretty good example of um, working you know, with resistance. Hmm. We carry around resistances without really knowing it. A spiritual seeker... Um, is often one of the most resistant people because you kind of like get locked into this viewpoint that awakening is going to be like this. Oh, yeah. When it happens. Yep. And it just isn't. I mean, you can't explain it, but it just isn't what they think it's going to be. And so they're resisting, um, by being so locked in, they're resisting all these opportunities in life. Um, they're resisting the openness. They're resisting. Um, you know, other ways of being in life and because they're resisting that's got to be reflected at a physiological level as well and so part of what I'm working towards is all right, let's look at the body let's start from there rather than look at the mind and then how does that body relate to the mind that sort of thing so instead of a top down view it's more like a bottom up view building up into kind of like the mind mm -hmm. and how they're all interconnected. And so far that's been, you know, people have found that quite useful. And, you know, they're often, as I said, they're often surprised at their own level of resistance. Um, and I understand why the resistance. I was, you know, even more resistant to what they were in lots of ways. But, you know, we walk, walk, walk around pretty resistant to life in many ways. I don't think that's a great way of living our lives. Mm-hmm. So if people want to find more about what you're up to or they want to get in touch with you, what should they do? Get on a plane and come to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and now, are you in a nice part of Australia or are you out in the desert somewhere? Uh, uh, everywhere is nice in Australia, Sean. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it to be hot, okay? It's got to be... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm in quite a... Um... A place where the weather can change about four times during the day, and it can get very hot here as well. Oh, so, but Melbourne's a very beautiful city. Okay, um, but to answer your question, um, they can get me by website edwardtraversa dot com, um, right. and also if they've got questions, they can email me at etraversa at hotmail dot com. Um, they're the two main avenues, and you know if they need to kind of like have a bit more of an in depth. In, um, discussion we can do that on skype or you know something like that got it nice well thank you eddie that's all the questions i have for you <laughs>
Well, that's brilliant. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I uh, hope it's useful for you, your listeners. And be interesting to hear the whole interview when it's um, finished. <laughs>